Good morning, Hillcrest. So thankful to be with you today. Um, those of us who are joining us online, welcome. And for those of us who are here, I'm glad you're in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, as uh, Pastor Brad stated, our uh, senior pastor, Pastor Jim, is at our Spanish Trail campus preaching live there, or he did at 9.30. And so I'm very thankful uh, to be here with you all today to continue on in the passage where we are in Colossians chapter 3. And, and if, you, if you wouldn't mind uh, standing with me as we read the text today, um, it'll be on the screen. Uh, and it's also on page 925 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> And then we'll say a word of prayer after we read the text. Two verses. Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21. Hear the perfect word of our perfect God. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we worship you. We love you. We're so thankful that you call us your very own sons and daughters. And as such, we want to live in a way becoming of children. Help us, Lord, uh, to understand this text. And as we, as we open it today, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would believe it, obey it, apply it to our lives, and thereby glorify your name. Help me, Lord, Guard my tongue, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Bless all of us, Lord, today, that we may glorify you in all we say and do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, please be seated. This is the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingle belling, and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. <clears throat> it is the most wonderful time of the year. We love Christmas music, right? I just couldn't help singing that last phrase. Uh, last Sunday, we uh, heard wonderful Christmas music here, Christmas at Hillcrest. We, we love this time of year for so many reasons, uh, but especially for the, the decoration as well. As you were coming in, no doubt, you saw uh, Christmas tree there in the worship center lobby. You see garland all around. And behind me, you see lots of lights. Uh, Crystal and I uh, did something different this year. We always uh, decorate inside, but this year we, we, you know, we stepped it up and put some lights on the outside as well. Uh, fun fact, Christmas lights. Do you know in the United States, just Christmas lights in the United States consumes more electricity than some countries do all year long, including Ethiopia, Tanzania, and El Salvador. Just, we do a lot with respect to Christmas lights, and we love it, right? But what is all of that? It's adornment. We adorn our homes, and we adorn even the gifts that we wrap. And what is adorning? What does it mean to adorn something? It's to beautify through decoration. And so what we'll look at today is that, that topic of adorning or adorning something. Because I believe it's the case oftentimes that while our homes are outwardly adorned, 
with a beautiful wreath on the door, beautiful lights all around. Sometimes it's the case that inwardly our homes are anything but beautiful. And I don't mean that there's laundry everywhere or you don't have a star on the tree. I mean that we don't treat each other the way God says to treat each other. Sometimes while our homes are ornately ordained outwardly, inwardly, there is no peace, joy, and love. And so I have a few questions that I'd like to pose as we get ready to dive into this text for each of you. Do the relationships in your home adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ? Children, do you interact with your parents in such a way that Christ is glorified? And for parents, do you raise your children in such a way that the gospel is made beautiful and attractive? That's what we'll consider today from this very brief but very clear text of scripture. And if I could summarize, what what is Paul saying? What is he doing by the time we reach verses 20 and 21? In one sentence, this is what I'd say the summary statement is. Paul is instructing the Colossian children and parents to live in a way that adorns the gospel in their home. For the last few months, what we've uh, been doing is walking through this very important but brief letter as uh, Paul is following his typical practice, which is to build on a firm foundation of doctrinal truth. Paul does this. He starts with doctrine. He teaches us what God has done for us in Christ. And then he builds upon that foundation with uh, teaching and instruction about how then shall we live as new creations, as people who are in Christ. This is how you should live. And so by the time we reach our text, Paul has already gone uh, to teach us about who Christ is. He is the preeminent Christ, the one that we've been singing about uh, every Sunday and especially this Sunday, this time of year. He is God the Son. He is Lord of creation. He is the center of the universe. And we saw in Colossians chapter two that Christ did a work on the cross to redeem us and reconcile us. Paul will say in Colossians 2 that the record of debt that stood against us was nailed to the cross, once for all, satisfied. And then most recently we've seen that all those who are in Christ have Christ in them. And so we see in Colossians 3, 3, for instance, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So by the time we reach our text today, verses 20 and 21, Paul has shown us that a new creation, a new creature has a new walk. There's some things that a Christian ought to just put to death, Colossians 3, 5. There's some things that believers ought to just put off, Paul says, Colossians 3, 9. And things that we should put on, verses, 9, uh, verses 10 and 12, Colossians 3. And and when we do that, a summary statement leading up to our text today is verse 17. Paul says there, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, to take that verse and couch it in this adorning language that I'm talking about, we could say it this way. Whatever you do 
as an employee or an employer, as a wife or as a husband, or more to the point with respect to today's text, as a child or as a parent, do it in such a way that it adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this language of adorning the gospel is not original to me. The apostles use this language. In Titus chapter two, Paul will say, adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior. And Peter, with respect to the uh, household relationship in 1 Peter chapter three, will, will use this language when he says in 1 Peter three, verses three and four, do not let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. So my goal is to build upon this language and say to all those who are here listening to me now, adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ in your home. Today, when you go home, don't let your house just merely be externally beautified with lights and a wreath on the door, but rather let it be inwardly beautified with love and respect and honor and peace. That's what Paul's getting at here. Be sure that you are living in such a way so as to make the gospel beautiful. And that leads to the main point, which is adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ in your home. This text today is extraordinarily simple and clear. And so it's my aim to be equally simple and clear and I see in two verses we have two roles, children and fathers slash parents. We'll talk about that. And we have two responsibilities. It's for the children to obey your parents in everything. And for the fathers slash parents, it's to do not provoke your, your children. And then we have two results. For the children, it is to uh, when they're obedient, the Lord is pleased, the Bible says. And then for the, for the parents, the children will not be discouraged. And what we'll see is that this text, not easy to obey, but very simple in terms of God's instruction to us. How do you adorn the gospel in your home? How do you have heaven at home? God gives us in two verses what to do. Let's start with the first role, which is children, children. Verse 20, children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Uh, it's not surprising to us that Paul will address the children. He's just got finished uh, addressing wives and husbands. This was very natural for him uh, to move on to the other members of the household. And all I'd say about this role is just that this is an all-encompassing word for all children. So this is children who are from itty-bitty little ones all the way through adolescence to even young adulthood. If you're a child, this is talking to you. And what's the primary responsibility? Responsibility one, look at verse 20. Obey your parents. How does a child adorn the gospel in their home? Obey your parents. And the meaning of this, it almost needs no definition, but it's simply to follow instructions. You receive an instruction and you follow it. It reminds me of a language arts test that I had when I was about third or fourth grade. Back then, I don't know if teachers still do that uh, today, but they would pass out all the, the tests face down 
And then when everybody had their test, it'd say, all right, turn it over and get started. And so I did. And it's an English test, so I'm super excited about that. It's my forte. And so I'm, I begin with number one, and I'm writing it down. And I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, I, I still believe that was Pulitzer Prize material on that sheet. But I don't think the teacher read a word of it because when you got to the last one, I remember, it says something to the effect of only answer question number one, write your name on the top, and turn it in. And I, I was devastated that all this beautiful work, this flowery language is beautiful. All in vain because I did not follow instructions. And sometimes our children don't obey because they're careless or negligent in the way that I was in that instance. But there are other times when children know exactly what the instructions are. And the reason they're not following is not because of carelessness or negligence. It is rebellion. And I think that's especially what Paul is teaching against when he says children obey your parents. He's saying don't rebel against them. Do what they tell you to do. It can't be made any plainer than that. If you are a child here today, God says to you, do what your parents tell you to do. Now, this, of course, will fall under the, the, the larger rubric of Christian obedience to authority. Employees, as we'll see next Sunday, Lord willing, are to submit to the authority of their employers. Citizens, dare I say, citizens are to submit to the governing authorities. I won't even go there today. <laughs> Romans 13, if you wanna know what is my obligation as a Christian citizen to the government. Read Romans 13 and let God's word teach you. But the Bible tells us to submit to the authorities. Church members are to submit to the authority of their pastoral leaders. Paul, Paul will say, or the writer of the Hebrews, if you will, in Hebrews 13, will tell, tell us as members of the church, obey your leaders and submit to them. Wives, as we saw last Sunday, submit to the authority of your husbands. And children, here are to obey the parents. And I make that point because sometimes when we come to a text like this, we think I'm the only one that has uh, someone, I'm, I'm, I'm the only one that has to be obedient or submissive. And no, it is not. It is true that God places us in various stations in life where we have authority structures that we are to submit to. And when we do, when we submit, we're honoring the Lord. We're obeying God. And to disobey the authority is to disobey God. Paul will write 13 letters in our New Testament. And another one that's very close in nature and style and makeup is the letter to the Ephesians. And so it's natural that we would turn to that to help us shed light on this text. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So you see, it's not just mere obedience that God wants. He wants no less than obedience, 
but he wants so much more. Uh, you all who are parents know that this is the case. Even children in the room. It's possible to obey your parents outwardly, but inwardly there's this resentment, even rebellion in the heart where you're just doing just enough to get them off your back. When we read Ephesians 6 and it says, honor your father and mother, we learn it's more than just outward obedience that God wants. He wants us to be inwardly respectful, to honor our father and our mother. To obey shows action, but to honor shows attitude. And the gospel is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so honor and obey your parents. Now, this doesn't mean that you can only honor and obey when you feel like it or you feel parents deserve it. Because there may be some parents that you just feel never deserve it. No, we, we honor, we obey, because God says, do this, it is right, Ephesians 6. Now, I want to qualify this. This is a statement that was also made by Pastor Jim last Sunday, and I want to qualify this because it bears repeating. There is no absolute human authority. And what I mean is, we don't mean obey your parents no matter what they say. If a parent instructs a child to do something that is sinful, don't obey that child. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't obey sinful commands of your, of your parents. You should not disobey God in order to obey your parents. That's not at all what I'm saying. No, what I am saying is that insofar as the parents give commands that are not sinful, it is the responsibility of the child to be obedient. So, whether uh, you're dependent on your parents for food or shelter or clothing, insurance, college expenses, whatever the case may be, your parents have the God-given right to call the shots in your life. Now, when you're out on your own and you're independent, that's a different story, but as long as you're dependent on them, you're to respect their position as God's authority and you're to obey them. And so we see the first role is children, the first responsibility to obey parents in everything. Now let's look at what the result is. The end of verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Can you ask for anything better than that? If we were to poll everyone here today and ask for a mission statement for your life, could you come up with a better one than this to please the Lord? I think you'd be hard pressed to have a better goal in life than that. And that is the result that God says will happen when children are obedient. The Ephesian text that I just quoted also quotes the fifth commandment as I stated, honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you. And one key promise attached to this result is, is long life. Ephesians 6 verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so it is. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Let's move to role number two, which I'm saying fathers and in parentheses, parents. Fathers slash parents. 
Look at verse 21 with me. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, Paul is speaking uh, to children first, as we just saw, and he says, children, obey your parents. He uses a very uh, specific word there to refer to both male and female parents. But then he starts verse 21 with a different word. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children. And I don't believe that is accidental or incidental. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. I had my mother in the first service. I have my wife in the second service. Mothers have an astronomical impact on children. Uh, it, you can't measure it. There's a common saying, and I agree with it, that says, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Mothers are of equal parental authority as fathers, it, which is why Paul says, children, obey your parents. Honor your mo mother and your father, right? And where would Timothy be, to use a biblical example? Where would he be without his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice? But notwithstanding that this text, this verse, can apply to mothers as well as fathers, Paul says fathers. Why? Because the father is the leader of the home. That's why. So often it's the case, as it was in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, so it is today that the wife leads the husband, and that's outside of the will of God. So often today, a father who has the responsibility to lead the home will say, I don't want to lead the home. If there's going to be family devotions, let the mother do it. If there's going to be prayer time, let the mother do it. If we're going to read the Bible together as a family, let the mother lead that. If there's a parent-teacher meeting, let the mother go to it. If there's help with the homework, let the mother do that. If it's time to discipline the kids, why not let the mother do that? Let the mother do that. Let the mother do that. Men, may I ask you a question? When both Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, who did God come looking for? Genesis 3, 9, and the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? I mean, we're accountable to lead our homes. And, and God is gonna hold us responsible for that. And so I have a question. If you were to give an account to God today for how you have led your home, Will he say, well done to you? If there's any part of you that says, I don't think he will, that, that thing, repent of that. There's still time to improve, to honor the Lord, to become more like Christ. But make no mistake, Paul is calling out the men in this text. And he's showing us that men are to lead. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children. Now, Moms, you're not off the hook. It doesn't mean that because you're not a father, you get to provoke your children as much as you want. Uh, that's, that's not a responsible uh, conclusion of this text. Um, no, no I, while I believe Paul is calling the men out specifically, I do believe this text is entirely uh, applicable to both fathers and mothers. As, as in many cases, there, it's true that there is no male in the home. Um, all who are parents, 
should avoid provoking their children. And so what does it mean to provoke? What does that word mean? He says, do not provoke your children. The word means to uh, make resentful, to make someone bitter, to irritate. Paul does something very interesting. To the children, he says, do not be rebellious towards your parents. And to the parents, he says, don't incite rebellion in your children. In effect, he's saying to parents, raise your children in such a way that you do your utmost to avoid provoking a rebellious attitude in them. And what does provoking look like? What is it to provoke? My son, Xavier, uh, loves the outdoors. He loves to go outside and play. And uh, this past summer, when it was much uh, warmer, he would be outside a lot with his buddy down the street and they'd kick the soccer ball. Any soccer fans in the room? Few? All right, all right. So they'd be outside, they'd be kicking the soccer ball and the ball every now and again would hit the fence, the privacy fence. And one time they hit the fence and they just heard zzzz. And they came in and they got me and we dealt with a wasp nest that was about that big. And what provoking would look like is you see this wasp nest here. It's hornets or whatever the case may be. And why not just take a stick and go over there and just stir it up every now and then because you want to. That, that imagery, stirring up a hornet's nest, that is provoking. And parents, every time you embitter your children, you uh, vex them, it's just like a foolish child stirring up a hornet's nest. And Paul's language in this text is very simple and direct. He says, don't do that. How does a parent provoke their child? Uh, Lou Priolo, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. So if Lou, if you're watching, I'm sorry, man. P-R-I-O-L-O, he's a pastor in Montgomery, a biblical counselor. If you just Google his name, you'll see there, he gives 25 ways that a parent can provoke their child. I'll, I'll only cover a couple of those today. One is unrealistic expectations. Parents, don't expect perfect obedience from your kids. They're imperfect little people just like you were at their age and you are even now. Unreal, unrealistic expectations is a way excuse me, a way that we can uh, provoke our children. Another way that he describes is having double standards. May I make a statement? Shame on us if we expect our kids to obey us better than we obey God the Father. Woe be to the parent who expects more of their child than they do of themselves. That is a sure way to provoke your children to anger. No, what God wants is for us to lovingly discipline and instruct our children. He says in the Ephesian text, Ephesians 6 verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. God wants those who love him to lovingly discipline and instruct your children. And so it is, when we do that, when we obey that verse, the result 
is that our children will not be discouraged. So the role, father slash parents, the responsibility, do not provoke. And the result is children will not be discouraged. Look at verse 21 with me again. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Discouraged here uh, means to become disheartened to the extent of losing motivation. You see it anytime you're watching a college football game or maybe a basketball game and you see different types of coaches. Some coaches, when the guy makes a bad play, he comes over and he, and he talks them up. He coaches them up. Hey, it's all right, we'll get it next time. Other times, you've seen this, the coach will just chew them out right there and millions of people are watching. And it's not uncommon for you to see that player kind of just go to the sideline, they're deflated, they've lost motivation. Uh, it would be no different than us going to Publix. Uh, my family and I like to go to Publix and my daughter likes to get one of those shiny green balloons, Abigail does. And uh, she's smiling so big whenever she walks out, yay. It would be no different than me, the dad, taking a pen that's very sharp and just, just why not, just pop it and let all the air out of it. And then that smile turns into a frown and tears are coming down her face. That's what it means to discourage your children. It's to let all the air out of their balloon. Parents, we don't wanna do that. What God wants for us and what we ought to do is to lovingly instruct them, to teach them, to come alongside them. And if they're tiny, to get down and talk to them so that they know you love them. Uh, you know, in the first service, I had my father and mother here, which was an unusual circumstance for me. Um, uh, but my father was in the Army for 24 years, and, man, he was not easy on me at all. Um, in fact, he, he, was, he was hard on me, I believe. And you know what? I thank him for it. Hebrews chapter 12 says the discipline of a father, you don't appreciate it. You don't tend to appreciate it in the moment. But afterwards... You're so thankful for it. And you're so glad that your, that your parents showed that discipline and that love for you. And similarly, if you were to ask him today, hey, do you, do you think that you provoked your son to wrath? He would say, I absolutely did. I know he, he has some regrets about that, as do I for being a disobedient son. There are some things I wish I would have done differently. And now I have my wife and kids with me, and there's some things I wish I would have done differently as a father already. Why do I share that with you? Because there may be some people here who think, you know what, I've already been disobedient. I've already dishonored the Lord. I've already failed as a parent and provoked my kids to wrath. Is there any hope for me? The hope of the gospel it's not what we do, but what Christ has done for us. Amen? There is no parent who is perfect. There is no child who will perfectly obey. But man, there is one who always is perfect. And it's our Lord Jesus Christ who satisfied the law for us, including the fifth commandment, who was perfectly respectful and honorable to the Father in every way. And it is him that we look to when we seek to live our lives, right? 
And so I don't want you to become discouraged when you read a passage like this and say, man, I failed, what's the use? You know, the promise of the gospel is that Christ is in us and by his power, we can live lives that adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this season, especially this season, don't let your home just be outwardly beautified. But let's work on the inside. Peace and joy, honor and love in our homes. Let's adorn the gospel and, and do so in such a way that we have heaven in our homes. And God's word is very clear on how to do that. Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is God's word, and let all who agree say amen.